0: and you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash slash Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, August 5th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to have another mini water cooler episode. My name is Ben Pearson. I am a senior writer at slashfilm.com and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film senior news editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello, For the Jacob, first time Welcome in back. Yes, in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so thrilled that we are able to um, to have you back on the show today, and and I know that you've been uh, very busy uh, working on you know uh, keeping the site up and running and and uh, all of that. So I guess well, that's one of the things you're going to talk about and what we've been doing. So let's just go ahead and transition right into that. Yeah, I've been very heavily
1: involved in the redesign and relaunch of Slashfoam, which is fingers crossed happening very soon if we met our original timetable it would it would have happened by now that's all i'll say uh, but the good news is that the people working on it are being very careful to look for bugs and issues and we keep on finding more which is you know very very standard uh for you know a web a website redesign and relaunch so it's just mm-hmm. a matter of us being cautious trying to find more i will say that i've seen the i've seen what it'll look like and it's very different you've been reading slash film for a long time you're going to be very surprised by how it looks but I think most people would, would, would agree that the current slash film design is very uh, outdated and we're very, very happy that it's going to be a change at all. And I'm very, very it's going to load really fast. <laughs> I'm just, I don't some people are going to be upset about any kind of change. I really hope people give it a chance because I think this is going to be uh, the visual shot in the arm the site needs. I think we've been one of the best written film websites around for a long time. I'm really happy to have a, the
0: visual polish to back that up and, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm excited. Uh, so, yeah, we will definitely be keeping you guys, uh, the listeners, updated. You know, when we have more information about that. Uh, what else have you been up to, Jacob? Uh, is this a spot where I can sort of brag a
1: little bit? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, the Austin housing market where I live has gone kind of bonkers over the past few years, and it's led to some refinancing in my home. Uh, some very positive refinancing, actually, like the best kind of refinancing because. We're able to restructure that to the point where I was able to eliminate all of my credit card debt and able to pay off all of our loans. And for the first time in our lives, my wife and I have more money in savings than we do in in uh, non-positive debt, meaning that you know, in our, in our cars, our house. But um, yeah, it's I guess, you know, I guess I didn't realize how much my every waking moment was weighed down by feeling of like a financial hole until this happened. And it makes me realize how fortunate we were. I mean, we, we worked hard to do this, but also there was a few strokes of luck that made it happen too. And I'm just trying to, I want everybody in my life to feel like I do right now and realize that the amount of money you're putting toward the bottomless pit of credit card payments every month is, to have that removed, I've never felt physically better about an abstract
0: concept that I do about this. <laughs> well, congratulations, Jacob. That is like a, a huge, uh, like a milestone kind of, uh, monumental moment in somebody's life. And, um, yeah, uh, let's go into what we've been reading. Jacob, what have you been reading recently?
1: Uh, I'm about to finish, uh, Stephen Graham Jones uh, the only good Indians. Have you heard about this book, Ben? I've not, I've never heard of it. Uh, Stephen Graham Jones is a, uh, uh, he's, uh, indigenous. He's a, he's, uh, from the Blackfeet tribe. And, he uh this book is essentially a a uh really Stephen King-esque horror story, partially set on a reservation, and it is really fascinating. It feels like it's really steeped in time, place, location, character, and uh Jones manages to really write from this place of knowledge and perspective of uh, you know being an indigenous person himself, uh but but in, in a way that uh, feels really fresh and interesting. I, I, t- I don't want to tell you what the horror of the story is, other than it involves uh, four friends who did something very terrible on their reservation ten years earlier, because it comes back to haunt them years later in, in, a, in a supernatural way. I'll leave it at that. But it's uh, very spooky, and it feels it feels very unique because it, uh, you don't see a lot of you know horror novels published by indigenous writers. And and I know he's, he's written a lot of books. He's a uh, look, actually has a page open right now and he's published 22 books, which is, which is wild. And I'm looking forward to digging into more of his work because it's sort of his big breakout from a few years ago in terms of like into mainstream success. And yeah, um, the only good Indians. It's uh it's a very intense read. I will say give it about 80 pages or so for you, for it to sort of draw you in because it took me a little while to understand the structure of the book. And once I realized mm-hmm. Where it was going, I got immediately hooked into it. So, uh, yeah, I really recommend it. And I, I'm pretty sure the film writer picked up. So maybe I'll see a movie of it. But it's, uh, it uses some some literary device and literary voice in a way that I think will be hard to translate the film. And I don't want to spoil what that is, but it's uh, it's a really really interesting unique mm. uh, horror novel.
0: Yeah, I'm intrigued, um, man. I don't I don't read horror novels that often, but that one sounds. Fascinating, even as, as vague as, as you've been to try to not avoid or to, to try to uh, avoid spoilers, which I appreciate. So, um, yeah, I'll add that one to my list. Um, speaking of my reading list, Jacob, one thing that you mentioned on a, a previous episode of this podcast is a book called "Say Nothing: A True Story of Murder and Memory in Northern Ireland," which came out, I think, in 2018, 2019. Uh, it was written by this guy named Patrick Radden Keefe, who hosted the podcast "Wind of Change" um, that you and I listened to and, and talked about on this podcast before. And uh, you recommend this, recommended this book that he wrote before that podcast came out, and I added it to my list and got it, and finally uh, just now finished reading it. And um, man, I really enjoyed this book. It, it is about the troubles in Northern Ireland. Uh, Northern Ireland, um, really. I mean, the, the uh, there's been let's just call it strife in uh, in Ireland and Northern Ireland for a, a long, long time. But um, the troubles, I think really is like this period that is defined from, you know, basically it's like the late sixties in through the late nineties. And this period, this book uh, really hones in on that specific period and gives you, um, really fascinating insights into a lot of the major players in the Irish Republican army, the IRA. Um, you know, Jacob, like I, I didn't know really anything about, I, I visited Ireland and Northern Ireland not too long ago. I didn't really know much about this history. Um, we saw when my wife and I, when we were there, there were, um, parts of, uh, Northern Ireland, parts of Belfast specifically that were, um, basically like we were out walking around at night and then all of a sudden, uh, essentially there were like, um, areas of the city that we could not go to anymore. And it's, it's really, um, like remnants from this period and the, the, uh, the hostilities and, and, um. Bloodshed that that took place there, but I didn't really know anything about the history. And this book did a really great job of laying all that out in a really um, compelling uh, and and engaging way. So um, yeah, if anybody is is curious about that period, I remember growing up like there being a lot of movies set in the or the, I guess that that uh, came out in the '90s about um, IRA members, and I'm thinking of like. Um, what is it like Patriot games? And like, uh, I think the devil's own is one there's a lot of those sort of like, um, you know, Tom Clancy esque or, or Clancy adjacent uh, action movies, maybe like um, uh, Tommy Lee Jones character in blown away might have had something to do with the, the IRA as well. I feel like that was a, a recurring thing in in, you know, action movies when I was growing up, and I didn't really you know, have any basis for understanding what any of that meant uh, politically or um, or socially at that time? But now I feel like having read this book, I'm like looking back in my mind on some of those stories and being like, oh, okay. Like at least I understand now, like where this person is coming from and what their uh, you know alignments were and and what their like end goals you know were and, and all of that. So. Uh, the book is really great it's called say nothing if you want to check that out
1: yeah it's my top 10 books of all time it's been long enough for me to come to that conclusion uh, wow and yeah I, 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 as somebody who knew the very basic structure of what the troubles were as an american uh, it was educational uh to say the least it was uh it really puts those 90s action movies that try to paint you know certain people as straightforward villains or whatnot in a, in a, in a very And a perspective that makes you realize that, oh, yeah, Hollywood likes to simplify things a lot, doesn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, All right, so let's get into what we've been watching. I just talked on, on a recent episode of the podcast earlier this week with HT about what I've been watching. But there's two things that I've seen that I wanted to mention here. Uh, I finished Schitt's Creek, which I know that you've watched, uh, Jacob, right? Like you finished that show a long time ago, didn't oh, you? Oh yeah, it's a wonderful. It's a great show. Yeah, so, so great. Um, I mean, just uh, the emotional payoffs are, um, I mean, it really does. Like when I started watching it and, and uh, the reason I started watching it was because I'd, I'd heard so many people compare it to shows like Parks and Recreation and like the, the Mike Schur, um you know, uh, run of, of TV shows. And the uh, emotional core of the show and the way that you really fall in love with the characters reminded me a lot of that, and, and especially the way the show wrapped up with such a, um, yeah, just a powerful love for its own characters and love for its own premise and everything um, is just spectacular. So uh, I'm very, very late to the Schitt's Creek party, uh, but in case you have been putting it off, it's all on Netflix and it's fantastic. Uh, all right. And then the only other thing that I wanted to mention is I saw a new film called Annette, which is coming out in theaters tomorrow and then is actually going to be dropping on Amazon Prime Video, I think August 20th, later this month. And it is the new movie by, I think it's, it's pronounced Leos Carac, uh, who is the French director behind a movie that came out in 2012 called Holy Motors, which is like one of the most mesmerizing international films i've ever seen i ha, i saw the movie in theaters and was completely blown away by it uh, it's one of the most unique movies i've ever seen i i would recommend it um if you're you know an adventurous moviegoer uh, play first. it loud like blast <laughs> put your volume up super loud when you watch it. it it's a it's not an
1: action movie in the slightest but it's it may be the uh the non-action movie i think most
0: deserves to blow out your speakers yeah, oh yeah, man, uh, that's a that's a great way to put it. Um, so, Annette is his new movie, and this film was written by Sparks, the um, the band that Edgar Wright recently profiled in his new The Sparks Brothers documentary that came out earlier this year. Uh, Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard star in the film. They play uh, Driver plays a like a sort of a vulgar comedian character, and Marion Cotillard plays an opera singer. And they, uh, fall in love and have a young daughter and their lives are changed forever, uh, by, by what happens with this young girl. And I'm not going to say anything more than that. Um, I, it's tough to compare this movie to Holy Motors because Holy Motors is such a unique thing. And it, it is a movie that is really unlike anything I've ever seen. Annette, um, the, the bones of Annette feel familiar to me in a way that um, something like Holy Motors did not. But it's definitely a weird movie. If you like weird movies, uh, you're probably going to get something out of Annette. It's it's a movie that is full of, um, of metaphor and uh, a lot of uh, confusing visual imagery. Um, and the performances are... Uh, dialed all over the place it's a it's a very very strange movie and i can't say that i liked it nearly as much as holy motors holy motors feels like much more of a piece to me even though that movie is essentially it consists of a a series of vignettes but there's something about the through line in that movie that just like made sense and clicked with me in a way that uh, annette didn't really Uh, it kind of kept me a little bit more at arm's length and maybe we can talk more about that once you know, it actually comes out wide and, and more people have a chance to see it later this month. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of put that on people's radar. If you're interested in uh, in seeing Adam Driver in a musical, uh, it, yeah, there, there you go. It's called Annette. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll have more to say about this later on, but um, but th- that's all for now. So, Do you think uh,
1: that uh, Amazon's choice to sell this as the Marine Cotillard and Adam Driver Sing movie is going to uh, burn up in their face when people start watching this?
0: um well it it uh it kind of is that so it's not like it's mischaracterizing what the movie is it the movie is just way weirder than the trailers make it out to be um the the film is uh is much more about the the title character than uh than driver or cotyard um but uh man yeah it's a weird but i'm very curious to see what you think of it uh in particular jacob since you have a fondness for holy motors as well um so yeah let me know when you when you get around to watching that one but uh let's go to you what else have you been watching
1: i've been making good use of the paramount plus streaming service ben okay uh i've been watching some nostalgic favorites at night when i'm usually when i've been drinking uh legends of the hidden temple the nickelodeon show from the 90s ben were you a nickelodeon kid did you watch legends
0: I was a Nickelodeon kid. I watched Legends of the Hidden Temple uh, in a way that I watched a lot of those Nickelodeon shows, which is to say sporadically. Like there were shows like um, like Doug and like uh, all that, and Hey Arnold, where I've seen every episode. But um, but the other game shows like uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple and uh, I think Guts was the other one. I, you know, it was like if I was done with my homework or something and like, I just happened to turn the TV on, I would absolutely watch those shows, but I I was not like a diehard fan that, that saw every single episode.
1: Yeah. I, like you, it's a, it's a show that when it was on, I was a kid, I was very excited. I'd put it on and I'd watch it and daydream what going on at the temple myself, even though by the time I was watching it, it was in reruns and been canceled. Uh, <laughs> but it's one of those shows where I'm not going to say go and watch it. It's great television, but I will say for nostalgic like me, and you already have had a bunch of, uh, tequila or vodka, you absolutely should put it on and do what I do, which is keep a log of whatever teams make it to the end <laughs> and whether or not they succeed or fail. Because what I've learned is that even though every single episode has completely different teams, there are never recurring kids trying to make the temple run. As guess it's the show, by the way, if you haven't seen it, it's a game show where. A group of kids, like six teams, have to cross a moat and a physical challenge, answer questions, do physical tasks, but one team gets to enter the hidden temple and try to retrieve an artifact uh, or they get hunted by temple guards. It's all very problematic, but it's um, it's also very exciting, uh, especially if you can put yourself in those kids' shoes being terrified lost in that temple. Um, but even though each team is completely different every single time, there's no crossover or returning people, for whatever reason, the Purple Parrots have consistently been the worst team. It's not even close. I think in fifty-one episodes I've watched and I've logged on my on a on a on a doc I keep, they've only made the temple I think three times. So it's, wow! It, so for whatever reason the purple parrots uniquely cursed Ben. <laughs>
0: uh, I mean, what what are you gonna do with this information, Jacob? I feel like if you're um, if you're compiling all this, you have to share it with the world when it's all done,
1: right? I mean, we'll see. Maybe when I, when I finish up, I'll, I'll put together an article or something. I will say that if you want to hear more about this, I was invited on to the, uh, the Big Orange Couch podcast, a, a show about 90s Nickelodeon shows where I talk for over an hour about Legends of the Hidden Temple. Wow. Okay. So if you if go look it up. It's a few weeks old. You should be able to find it pretty easily.
0: <laughs> All right. What else are you
1: watching? Uh, ben, 90s, 90s Nickelodeon. Have you watched Are You Afraid of the Dark recently or even when you were a kid? <laughs>
0: That's one that I kind of, I think I missed it almost entirely when I was a kid. I may have seen, you know, three episodes of my life or something, but I, I was not uh, on that boat as a child. It was a super formative thing for me as a kid. That and the Goosebumps books got me on the horror train
1: at a young age. And this show, it's still cheap, it's still cheesy, it's still for kids, but there's something to it, Ben. There's something to the way it tells its horror stories, the way it frames its monsters, the way it structures why people love horror with the, um, uh, uh, segments at the beginning of the end where, where kids are around campfire story, around campfire telling stories, a midnight society who mm-hmm. meets to uh, share horror tales. It's really unique in that it's a kids' horror show that is not afraid to be scary and is also about kids liking horror, which I think is kind of cool. I, I And more so than like the Goosebumps TV show from the 90s, which was really hokey and it felt like it was trying to say this is all very silly whereas are you of the dark takes its horror and its monsters fairly seriously (laughs) at least in the at least in season one where i've been revisiting it and maybe it goes downhill i don't remember but i will say i'm pleasantly surprised by what an actual genuinely good kids show are you of the dark is
0: have you spotted any uh guest actors or people who would later on become famous uh i know there are some uh off the top of
1: my head, I don't know who they are, but I know they do pop up. The one that was driving me crazy is one, is one kid looked very, very familiar. I said, who does he grow up to be? And the answer ended up being, he grows up to be a cop who, who gives up his... His uh, his career as a child actor, but he does help give birth to Jacob Tremblay. Wow, <laughs> so Jacob Tremblay's young father is in the first episode of Fair <laughs> of the Dark*.
0: Okay, I, I feel like Ryan Gosling is in an episode of that. Yeah, I could be a lot of Canadians.
1: This film is filmed in, in Canada, so there's a, there's a lot of Canadian accents and a lot of uh, presumably a number of Canadian uh, kids <laughs> who will someday be more well known. Okay, so you've also watched uh, some evil yes uh also paramount plus this was the cbs show that got pushed to uh paramount plus for season two the adr they adr in a bunch of f-bombs making a streaming show which is kind of hilarious <laughs> i actually interviewed michael emerson who plays the, the villain on the show who you may remember is ben from lost uh and interviews on slash film.com but evil is a great show it is the halfway point between law and order and hannibal it's a horror show it's genuinely scary but you can watch with your parents it's really socially conscious it's it tries to really do a rip from the headlines approach to its storytelling uh ben there's an episode that um, is about an Amazon-esque company that is, uh, whose workers are essentially overworked and tired and getting in accidents because of, because of all of this. And the plot line involves, uses that to dovetail into a supernatural story about uh, uh, Haitian voodoo zombie myth. And um, and it ends up using uh, the cure for Haitian zombie plague uh, as a metaphor for unionization. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Evil, Evil is, a, is a horror procedural show with so much on its mind. I can't recommend it uh, highly enough. It's on, a, it's on a hiatus right now for the next month while they uh, uh, season two resumes, I think, the end of this month. Uh, but they're already teasing the next episode, which is set entirely in a monastery where monks have taken a vow of silence and no one can speak for the entire episode.
0: So I'm very, very excited
1: <laughs> for that episode. Oh
0: man. Yeah. HG was talking about this uh, the other day on on the podcast. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad that both of you are, are uh, finding a lot to love with evil. I don't have Paramount Plus. I'm not sure if even the raves that I've heard about the show from you 2 is going to be enough to get me to to subscribe to yet another streaming service to watch it. But, uh, but I'm, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad Michael Emerson is, uh, is having fun out there. Uh,
1: yeah. And also I've been speaking of streaming services. I've been digging into Apple TV plus. I've been paying it for, for, for like a year and not actually engaging with it outside of, outside of Wolfwalkers. I, I finally watched uh, for all mankind and mythic quest. Uh, ben, I specifically messaged you saying you need to watch for all mankind. Have you watched it yet? I added it to my list. I've not watched it yet. Uh, From Mankind is an alternate history science fiction show about what happened to the Soviets land uh, on the moon first in 1969, beating the U.S. by weeks, and the cultural ramifications, the, the political ramifications, and technological te- te- technological ramifications of that are explored. And it's a um, show created by uh, co-created by um, Ronald D. Moore, who's known for Battlestar Galactica and Star Trek: East Space Nine, and the show is genuinely interested uh, in alternate history, not in a sort of a um, "what if this happened," but in a "okay, what if this happened." what would be the actual way the world would change if the space race really did continue hardcore into the eighties, which is where season two takes place. Uh, it's a terrific show. It's so entertaining. The season two finale is one of the best hours of TV I've ever seen. It is 15 spinning plates of plots that all come together in a way you don't see coming and it's like oh and you, you don't see the machinery of everything intersecting until it's happening and the beauty of the writing is just there in it all happening in front of you and also it made me realize that Joel
0: Kinnaman is not boring is contrary to popular belief i think okay so jacob the reason i haven't watched this to be completely honest with you is i've heard so many good things about season 2 but this seems to be like one of the preeminent shows where it's like uh, the first season—you know—it takes a while to get into it, like that whole thing. Did you find that to be the case? And uh, and I don't know. What, what do you What do you have to say
1: about that? Uh, season two is definitely masterful. It is is an incredible uh, season of television. Season one, it's not as good. I wouldn't. It's 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 a little slower, and it's it's ripple effects are smaller because by season two, the alternate history stuff is taking full bloom. In a way that uh, they're able to like really go to some really wild places. Whereas, unless you are like really know American history, some of the early earliest episodes of season one, you don't see the butterfly effect as much. Like, there's a scene involving a character, a, a, a person from real history who's a character in the show, testifying for Congress, that, uh, and that, that testimony ends with a revelation that is true, but was never brought to, to full light in mm. in in. Uh, in actual history so the ultimate history butterfly effect there uh is that this guy get this, this revelation happens in full public eye and it leads to a change in his career which did, which is a kind of thing where if you if you wikipedia this guy you would be able to sort of realize oh yeah this was all true mm-hmm. uh but if you know enough about american history you realize oh this actually happening before congress is a huge deal just in, just in, a, in a less in a less loud way than you know than season two was able to go with. So gotcha. I would recommend, you know, maybe having Wikipedia open to Wikipedia, some names as you watch the first half of mm-hmm. season one, but by the, by, by the halfway point, uh, by, by the time Penny from lost shows up as a uh, badass female pilot, because <laughs> um, uh, uh, spoiler alert, episode three, they start having female pilots in NASA. That's what that's the first, that's the first huge um, butterfly effect uh, mm. uh, of the show. Um, yeah. By the time she shows up, I think you're, I think you're on board or you're not. Okay, so is this an
0: hour-long show? It is an hour-long show, yes. Mm, Okay, and then how many episodes are there? Like 10 per season or something like that? Yeah, 10 per season. Okay, all right, well man, if it was half an hour, I feel like I could, there's, there's something about that mental block from a half hour show to an hour show where it really just feels like so much more of a, an obstacle. But, um, I've, I've heard really, really good things about the show. It is on my list. So I'm not sure exactly where it will will fall next, but, uh, I promise I will get to it at some point. So, um, tell me about Mythic Quest. I've heard similar things about that show's second season. How far into that are you? I finished all of Mythic Quest. Uh,
1: so, this is where I started realizing that Apple TV Plus is low-key, maybe the best streaming service, because Mythic Quest and For All Mankind feel like shows that are carefully thought out and curated, as opposed to Netflix's approach, which is, go make content, we won't say a thing, go make it, no restrictions, which leads to people not getting notes, not getting guidance, and just kind of half-assing things that they think that, which leads to shows that don't feel like nobody's taking care of them, whereas Apple mm-hmm. TV Plus show shows like they've been taken care of. And Mythic Quest is a show that starts off as a workplace comedy about uh, the employees and the management at a video game developer working on a uh, massive MMO RPG called Mythic Quest. And it starts off as being a very amusing, uh, I'd say the office adjacent uh, or 30 Rock adjacent uh, workplace comedy. And I, I, thought, I found it very light, very funny, uh, not like totally agreeable to watch. Never was a point where I was rolling my eyes or saying this is boring. But starting with episode five, they do a one-off episode that... Stands alone is a bottle episode. Maybe sit up and take notice and go, Oh, this is interesting. What are they doing? And season two continues to end strong. And then they have two quarantine specials filmed during the pandemic. Uh one is a one is set entirely on computer screens as characters try to try to work from home. And one is set in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic as people come back to the office. And they're the two best pieces of, of pandemic art I've ever seen, Ben. Uh they mm. are the screen episode where everybody's communicating on Zoom is the best zoom related piece of art art i've ever seen uh it is it's i've never seen a a something capture the humor and the terror of the pandemic so well and maybe too raw for some people i get that but mythic quest uh after it finds its footing halfway through season one really manages to pour everything that's special about it into its pandemic episodes which are like the first screen ones and then one the um the one we turn to the office is, is special for different reasons and ones I don't want to spoil because I think they should be discovered. Uh, but then season two just picks up the baton and season two is incredible as well. And increasingly daring in how, it, how it shapes the episodes like the one-off episode in season one, where it seems to separate from the main story and focus on our characters for one hour, Or sorry, one episode uh, that pays off later on to do a similar thing. We have a flashback to the 1970s or mm-hmm. uh, in, in before video games are even a thing uh, to follow one character as, as a very young person. And, and, which has its own sequel episode right after that set in present day. Like these two episodes had nothing to do with video games or even the workplace that's set in, but are paying off thematic ideas and characters that are built into the core of the show. It's not just a video game workplace comedy. It's a show about creativity and how we define that and what we do with it. And Mythic Quest, like I said, if you watch first episode and say, this is unwatchable, nothing about this is good. Maybe it's not for you, but by, by the end of season one, I was on board. And by the end of season two, I realized that it was like a straight up great show, not just like a, a great comedy, but a great TV show.
0: Well, man, that's, that again, sounds like a recommendation that I really need to take to heart. Um, I'm curious, Jacob, have have you watched Bo Burnham's Inside? I have not. I know that's probably going to be your response to my,
1: my 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 massive shout about best art of the pandemic because i have not watched
0: that was was the one thing that immediately came to mind but i haven't really seen a a ton of good pandemic related stuff but that is the one thing that is just uh like capital g great to me so um yeah i encourage you to to uh set some time aside and and check that out if you can but uh all right so you've watched a couple other things too right yeah i want to briefly touch on the fear street movies because we covered them a lot
1: in slash film i know they've been out for a few weeks now but i think they're, they're so good i remember uh Watching the first two and thinking, man, these are these are really, really fun. There's, there's some missed opportunities, some plot holes, some things that didn't make sense. Uh, I, feel like, I feel like there's areas where it could have been a lot better
0: Then you realize because the third movie has all that stuff, so they, <laughs> it pays it off. Ben, have you watched a few movies yet? I have not. I was talking to Chris about this. Um, you know, I was excited about the concept. I uh, watched this, this trailer that was like a trailer for all three movies in one and was not super impressed by that. But... I know Chris likes them a lot. You like them a lot, so I think Chris convinced me to like wait until October and then just do like a a back to back to back kind of thing, like around you know more in more of a, a spooky season time period. So I think I'm just going to hold off and and wait to watch them then. That's a good idea,
1: and I, I will say that the 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 week long wait between movies ended up being so interesting. That's what Netflix is doing well. I will say is Netflix's TV continues to feel like this note free atmosphere of do what you want, it'll be fine content, whereas Fear Street movies take advantage of streaming in such a fascinating way, where the week long wait is just enough to get you excited without being, you know. I think they want to do like a month long wait was originally a theatrical project before it was mm-hmm. before it went to Netflix. But the week long thing is just enough to get you excited, just enough to keep you hooked. And I want to see more of that from Netflix. That idea of not of make great movies, yes, please keep making great movies, but like release them in interesting ways, ways that like encourage you to watch in unique ways, unique to streaming. And to me, Fear Street movies are all really good, but the release process was what had me the most excited about all of
0: this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then
1: you've watched The Green Knight as well, right? Oh boy. Um, People want us to do a full spoiler episode on The Green Knight. I would like to do that in the future. So I won't go for too long because I will will come back for that. Green Knight is my favorite movie of the year so far. Ooh, uh, you and HC both, man. Okay. It is really frustrating. It is not what you think it is. It withholds a lot of things you expect from an Arthurian fantasy tale. Uh, but that's by design. It is a deconstruction of myth and a de- deconstruction of chivalry and what that actually means. And I will say the final 15 minutes are absolutely outstanding and reminded me of my one of my favorite movies of all time. And it's a spoiler to even say what it is. People on Twitter are begging me to say what it is. I'll, I'll say at a later date on a spoiler episode <laughs> of the show, because knowing what we movie to talk about will spoil it. But I will say that all the frustrations you may have, I think have a catharsis in the final stretch. And with m- maybe one of the great closing lines of dialogue, uh, from a, a line you would not expect to be said by a certain character in a tone you did not expect from that character. And, uh, I've been thinking about it nonstop. And if you want an easy, exciting action movie, this won't be your cup of tea and that's totally fine. But if you want Arthurian legend dissected heart on the table by David Lowry, a filmmaker who understands that these ancient myths and poems are, are not supposed to be easy. They're supposed to be uh, metaphors for however you choose, you apply them to your life and your lifestyle. Uh, he's really taken apart and reassembled, you know, a 14th century poem so it can be relevant to modern day in a way that we will
0: discuss, hopefully, fingers crossed, on a future spoiler episode. Yeah, man, I am. Uh, I really, really want to see this. I just don't feel great about going out to theaters, considering how bad the the cases are in my area right now. So maybe we can wait until a twenty four puts this on VOD and then do the the um, spoiler episode after that. So in case anybody out there is in my situation and just doesn't, I don't want to like encourage people to go to see theater. You know, to go see this in theaters because we're going to talk about it um, as if we have that kind of sway over anyone's life. <laughs> um, but but uh, yeah. So hopefully hopefully that will happen uh sooner rather than later but uh jacob i I appreciate the restraint that you showed in in not um revealing what that movie comparison is because anytime i hear stuff like that i feel like i instantly understand what you know i i I am able to put those puzzle pieces together and it kind of like ruins a small percentage of uh of the the viewing experience uh, for me so thank you for that um all right let's get into what you've been playing what have you been playing jacob
1: yeah i'll be fast here uh i played the new alien the fate of the board game i sent a preview copy and this is a new game from ravenberger who they're a really good company they've been making board games for a long time but they've also been recently been doing a lot of licensed board games they did uh, a jaws board game a few years ago they did a really exceptional like genuinely great uh, universal monsters board game called horrified and alien the fate of the Stromo is their new game and like the previous games, it is uh, you know based on an IP. In this case, the Alien franchise, specifically the first Alien movie. It's based very directly on that movie, and it is uh, going to be, I think, I think uh, a being targets for exclusively first, I think for a little bit, and it'll be, I, guess, I think a $35 price tag, which is very small for a designer board game, mm-hmm. uh, which usually often ring up for 50 or 60. Uh, so it's very surprising uh, that like horrified, actually, no, it shouldn't be surprising. It's like horrified, and like jaws, uh, the alien board game is really good. Uh, it is, they spent money on it. The components are all really nice. The art is fantastic. They clearly, they got the likeness rights for all the original cast. So you can play as Yafikoto not as Parker, as Yafikoto It's like his face <laughs> is on your character card. His face is on the miniature. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, Tom Scare, they're, they're, they're all there. Uh, Harry Dean Stan, all their estates get paid, man. And the game is uh, not really a, a scary game. If you're looking for like a horror game. It's probably, may not be it. Uh, but it does capture the tenseness, I think, of the first Alien movie. The board is Nostromo, the ship from the first Alien. And the alien itself is a miniature on the board that's controlled by a deck of cards. It moves around, it hunts the other players, and you're all working together. You're trying to accomplish a series of missions that are randomized, so you never know what you're going to try to do until the game starts. And you once you try to avoid the alien, uh, draw the alien away, you can't kill the alien. You can, you can, you can fight it off, uh, but generally if it shows up, you're, you're in trouble. You have a morale yeah. track. Everybody has... There's no health in the game. Nobody can die because it's a cooperative game. You know, it stinks if a character dies and you're out of the game. So every time the alien encounters you, a group morale track goes down. And when the morale track hits zero... The entire game's over, so you want to avoid the alien and fight it off and keep your morale up while you try to get around. And like I said, it's a fully cooperative game. We had a great time. I think I played it three times in a row uh, with with my uh, vaccinated board game group. And yeah, there are probably I think Horrified is a better board game overall if you're looking for like a great you know horror themed co op from this company for a reasonable price. Mm-hmm. But if you want a great a great alien game uh that's that's full of the alien arts and the alien style the alien characters uh alien the fate of the stromo is very very good and you can't beat the price tag it's being asked for especially when there are like there's a a game called nemesis ben that's pretty much uh alien inspired it feels like you know what if alien the board game it's far more complex has tons of rules uh like 20 different miniatures uh it's 150 dollars so but, so it's a game you like, it's like, do I love Alien enough to spend 150 bucks on a game that's like Alien? Or do I want to spend 30 bucks on a game that officially is Alien? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the answer for a lot of people will be the latter. And I actually can encourage you that Alien, the Fate of the Stremo is very good. And especially if you, if, if you're, if you're a co-op board gamer, if you like Pandemic, you like games where everybody wins or loses together, you really can't go wrong with this one.
0: Awesome. And then you've also been playing a video game
1: called Griftlands, which I've never heard of. What is this game, Jacob? Uh, Griftlands is a new ga- game from the company Clay. They made Don't Starve and Invisible Ink, two games that I love. Uh, and what's neat about Clay is that they always tend to have really great character writing, really great art styles. But they don't have like, a, a company style. They don't, they don't make one type of game. Each of their games is completely different from previous ones. And uh, Griftlands is also completely different from anything they've made before. It is a uh,
0: essentially a deck builder. Are you familiar with deck builders, Ben? Um. Uh. I think it is is the uh I'm trying to think of an example of one that I might have played. Is the South Park uh video game? Is that a deck builder? Okay. Let's no. just you tell me what a deck builder. Uh, is. A deck
1: builder originated uh in, in, on tabletop. It's where you uh is games based around having a deck of cards where you in game start off, let's say start off ten cards and like you can sort of buy more cards for your deck. Uh, and through and like, so in the course course of the game, you are rebalancing your deck. You are losing cards, gaining cards. and trying to mo- create the most efficient deck to get through what you're trying to do in that game, in which on board games could be building a farm or getting in fights or whatever the game's theme is. Mm-hmm. So they've taken this uh, tabletop idea of deck building, which, you know, is there have been lots of other video games that do deck builders uh, now. This is the latest one, uh, and transplants into to sort of the sci fi fantasy world where you're a character out and about trying to uh, find their way. There are several characters to play. Your story is randomized every time and it's permadeath. So when you die, you have to start over again. Mm. But if it's intended to be each, each time is random, each time you'll meet new people, each time you have a new quest, new motivations and your deck, you have two decks. You have a deck for combat and a deck for conversations. And the fun is whenever you want to convince somebody that somebody, is something, it goes into a fight, the same sort of fight style as you wouldn't, fighting fight somebody with knives and guns, except that <laughs> you're playing like cards for arguments. You can play cards for, you can play diplomatic cards. You can play cards for threatening. You can play cards for lying. Uh, and it ends up being really unique. The uh, both ways of, 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 of both combat systems are fun. Fighting people with, with cards uh, to like hit them with, with, a, with a knife, fun. But it's really, really unique that you, you like instead of fighting somebody, you have an option to like how you talk to this person instead? So you can talk to them. And you enter like a conversation, and the, and the conversation is, is, plays out like a fight would. Mm-hmm. And they you can like summon you can like um, summon different things. Like instead of summoning like an ally, you summon like courage or you can summon um, um, reason or or other, or and, like, <laughs> you so sort of, like, they become like, so like, and they start like circling around your, your character in like this battle mode. So the person, your opponent and you are both attacking each other's arguments, which are shown as like, as like designs on, on the, on the screen, or you can attack so. each other's like backup. Like, like for example, uh, one character played a card that was um was, was like what's called like gossip or dirty lie or something and it caused a new thing to appear in my side that, that with a countdown saying unless you saying about this in eight turns this will explode and damage your argument because because he's laid the groundwork for gossip it's come back to bite you mm. so like there's always like it's, it's a super interesting system uh of combat of like trying to understand you know how to win fights uh but it's applied the conversation and debate which is half the game so so like i said um it's just a really, really unique way of of taking deck-building combat and transplanting it to letting you have the option of talking your way out of things. Like, you, you can talk your way out of a lot of fights in that game. If you win the conversation, you don't have to fight somebody. So it's really, really fun. It literally lets you play, play however you want. You can get into every fight you want or you can talk your way out of it and build either deck up or do what I did and, and build spend so much time trying to make both decks even that you end up getting killed because it's not strong enough <laughs> but um but yeah Griflands. i have a nintendo switch i think it's 25 30 dollars uh, but i know it's also available on other consoles as well but uh, it, it plays really well as a mobile game on my on my undocked switch
0: excellent all right uh so i'm gonna put a link to your michael emerson interview in the show notes so people can can visit the show notes you can go to com and check that out And that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of the show. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features that you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at peter.slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.